0: Our final conversation for the day uh, will be taking a look at the work that is being done by the Indu- Indulamiti Scenarios Trust. You remember, uh, I started off reflecting on a conversation we'd had with uh, Dr. Badilo Hodla on this platform. I think it must have been last year, who was warning about the Guara and the Skadonk and telling us that if we are not careful, you know, we could well find ourselves there. And um, it was, a, it is really a, a warning that says uh, there are multiple paths that we can take. We are the ones that choose which scenario we end up with, depending on the kind of interventions that are implemented. So joining me in studio then today is Dr. Tara Polsa Mwatu, who is the lead researcher for the Ingula Barometer. Uh, Dr. Tara, good morning to you. Thanks for your time this morning. Good morning. Lovely to be here. Uh, We also have T'olelwa Kashe Kitaya, who is the acting project leader for the Indulamiti Scenarios Trust. T'olelwa, good morning to
1: you. Thanks for your time this morning. Uh, Good morning, Kathy, and good morning to your listeners.
0: Let's first begin with this. You know, the idea of scenarios, and this is part of what was shared the last time we did an in-depth look at uh, the work that was being done by the uh, Scenarios Trust. Is that some some of our listeners think well this is this whole process is a fluke you know how do you get to deciding or envisioning where we'll be in 2030 with so many variables that come into play with so many things that are Out of our hands, unpredictable, right? If we're thinking about interventions, where do those interventions come from? How much of it perhaps lies with the governing party? We don't even know what's going to happen in the December conference, let alone the kind of trajectory that our country will take policy-wise. But... You two look like very serious ladies who don't sit at night looking, you know, (laughs) sucking their thumbs on. Well, let's think what the possibilities might be. You look like very serious people. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to tell us about how you do this work and what actually goes into it. Kolelwa, let me begin with you.
1: Okay. Thanks, Kathy. Well, um scenarios are actually a particular uh, specific way of conducting research i mean it's a uh, future studies it's a field that is uh, emerging and increasing uh, our transition into the democratic dispensation that we have was involved was informed by a scenarios building exercise which was um, uh, it, 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 it was the Montfleur scenarios. And we've had other scenarios in the country, so we're quite familiar with this uh, as South Africans. But uh, the, what we adopted as a specific uh, approach was what we call the its intuitive logic uh, approach, wherein we engage with experts and mm-hmm. influence people who... who, who you know, we'd have economists, we'd have uh, scientists, you know, uh, IT specialists engage with young people, engage with politicians, you know, people within the labor movement, people working in communities. So we we do take a sample of s- different sections of our society where we ask specific questions about the future. Now, what we rely on is those people's expertise because they know the specific fields very well. Mm. But then we bring in the creative side of things where we ask them to imagine the future. So we try to now have the that that um, intuitive side of the intuitive logic approach wherein we become creative. So the whole process is informed by a combination of logic, which is the rigorous research we mm. put in data. But at the same time, we become creative to allow people to imagine. But we know that they got feel or the instinct will also be shaped by what they already know but to ensure that it's not about you know the current uh, environment it's not you know uh, putting color to it what we do is to put the horizon so far away that it's beyond what you can imagine hence mm. the 2030 and fine now we're getting closer to it but when we started it was far enough that you cannot quite uh, have the the prison of the current reality informing that. So throughout the process, we keep having those interventions. We bring them back again. We imagine the different variables that we come up with. Mm -hmm. We also group them in terms of um, the uncertainty but also the impact. So we isolate those, because if you're working with the future, we have to focus on those that we are most uncertain about, but also we know that at the same time, they'll have the greatest impact on us. So when we isolate those, then we get what we call key driving forces. So that is what is interesting. And that's what Tara also uses in terms of the barometer, because those, are, those key driving forces will drive us towards cohesion or away from cohesion. Mm-hmm. And as you know, for Indra Lameti, it was inequality, it was the issues of uh, resentment and resistance, and the third one being the leadership uh, key driving force. Uh,
0: Tara, just just on this issue of of, of the experts that um, uh, are brought in to weigh in to to this process, on the intu- on the intuitive part of the process, how much of it depends on the person you're speaking to, if the person you're speaking to is relatively optimistic about where we are as a country they'll say look yes all of these things are worrying but um, by 2030 I I I think that we won't be as bad as you know the situation won't be as bad as some predicted to be whereas if you're speaking to somebody else who's incredibly cynical their picture of where we might be in 2030 can be vastly different
2: So I think that's a really good point, and it's one that we get asked a lot. Mm. Um, How reliable are the underlying sources of uh, these stories? And I think it's important to say that there's two parts to the Inglulamiti Foundation's work. The one is the initial uh, scenario stories. So it's not predictions. It's three possible options um, for how the country might develop into the future. And uh, as Lelwa was saying, the, the way in which those stories were developed spoke to a very wide range of people. So mm. you don't just get one person's opinion that's very individualistic. You get a, a, a lot of different I- uh, perspectives and then slowly you get... Um, certain themes emerging out of more and more people from lots of different backgrounds talking to each other. The second part of what the foundation does over the years now is the barometer. And what that is, is it looks at um, the stories that were developed in 2017, launched in 2018, um, which ones of those seem to be coming true. Mm. And there we actually not asking people for their opinions. We are looking at very large data sets of objective information from a lot of different sources, again, so it's Stats SA data, it's um, a a range of different government departments reporting on their own performance. It's uh, civil society doing some really important research work like the Afrobarometer. These are all data sets that are well recognized as being empirical and, again, not being just about people's perceptions. Mm -hmm. So we really do, in all of our methodologies, Mm -hmm. try to balance out that question of it not just being somebody's opinion, Mm -hmm. it being really based on a very wide range of solid evidence.
0: All right. So when we continue with the conversation, then, we'll find out exactly what some of these scenarios that are projected for the country will be. We'll also be raising the question of social compacts. Is it now the elephant in the room following? Well, I don't need to remind you because we did reflect on it this morning. You heard last week a former president, Havon asking what happened to that 100-day social compact, And President Cyril Ramaphosa last night at the ANC conference in KZN saying, well, we've been hard at work behind the scenes, but it's a lot of hard work, a lot of compromises that need to go into it. So we're not done yet. We'll continue with the conversation after this.
2: Cathy on SAFM.
0: We continue the conversation with our guests from the per Barometer and also uh, the Scenarios Trust. And we're talking about, you know, what are the projected outcomes for this country. So, let's then take a look at 2030. We're eight years away from 2030. And um, <laughs> this is going to seem unfair. But the other thing that comes to mind when I think of 2030 is the NDP, right? And where that projects we might be. Scenarios, because both of them are working on scenarios, really. Um, of course, we, we're very far away from um, the projected scenarios out of the NDP for 2030 right now. But let's talk about what you have as possible scenarios based on what the current data. Uh, Sets looking at different issues in the country says.
1: First, I'll start uh, by explaining why we chose 2030. Mm -hmm. We felt that it was a good marker because we had to find a moment in our trajectory that would be quite significant, and we looked at the NDP, and it seemed like the only blueprint that we had as a country. We know that it's contested. I mean, we know that the labour movement was not in agreement with elements of the NDP, but there's also the United Nations, you know, uh, SDGs that also have a horizon that's set at 2030. So that was the main thing that we that informed that decision to settle on 2030. Then the three pathways that we identified, the first one, we called it Ese Bourgeois. Now we use dance moves to name these uh, scenarios just to make them a bit popular. Now Ese Bourgeois is a dance move. It, it You can hear in the name, it's, uh, it, it entails a bourgeois nation. So this is um, an enclave bourgeois nations. that's informed by these high, you know, these security estates. You know, heard some of your callers accusing the advocate of living behind high security walls, wherein the elite can have private security, a private hospital within that security estate, a private school, and so on. We imagine a future where they'll even get off the grid. They won't require the state to provide water, electricity, the most basic services. But at the same time, the poor also now are forced to do things for themselves. Because what is the key element here is that there's no leadership. The state is unable to provide services. So if you're wealthy, you can actually just opt out. But the poor are forced to also also take things into their own hands. So it's a more divided nation than we are right now, with the middle class completely eroded but this these divisions are also evident in the political parties where we see the ruling party splitting along nazarec lines we see even the opposition parties splitting so it's about division and moving further away from social cohesion the second one is Naila walk again
0: okay b- b- <laughs> b- b- before you go on b- before you go on to Naila walk let's start let's stay with asibuja a little bit An eradication of the middle class, where would the middle class have gone to in this country?
1: If they're fortunate, they might move on up to the enclave, you know, within those security estates. But we see the majority actually falling, you know, slipping back into extreme poverty. Mm -hmm. So it's two nations in one, like the extremely poor and then the wealthy.
0: What does this say, really, about where the projections around the state of the economy? are going to be because, you know, if you are projecting that we're talking about what uh, close to four million people that are part of the middle class currently. If they're going to be, you know, wiped out as a class straighter, then what will be the state of the economy then?
1: Now, this is the thing. I mean, others would say uh, the, the, the people we part- what we call the core participants they even wanted to name it. Vuzenzel because what i said Thea, is like the main thing is that the state is unable to provide anything so for you to survive you have to find means so if you're fortunate you just opt out you're not dependent on what you contribute as tax you just buy the security we even see uh convoys you know like uh the blue lights that you see now that you know state uses as uh, the elite, because it's so unsafe, there's ruptures everywhere, there's daily protests, you require those Uber-like convoys for your own security to even step outside those security walls, because the poor obviously are agitated, and also taking, you know, the law into their own hands, because there's no policing, there's, you know, so mm-hmm. it's that kind of divided state, a nation that's actually essentially so divided that it's almost at war with, itself.
0: Mm. And the political landscape within the scenario, because you talked about um, uh, a scenario where you have the governing party today, ANC, splitting, other opposition parties also splitting. So from a governance perspective, what is happening? I hear you when you say there's you know, service delivery is pro- probably at, at its poorest to what we're experiencing now. But what what is the state of governance?
1: Imagine what is happening now at local government level because of those coalitions that are being formed. So if the ruling party were to split, it, it will be forced into various coalitions. So either, say, imagine one faction now splitting and forming a coalition with, the DA and the other forming a coalition, for example, with mm. the EFF. So that is very unstable because there's no agreement or uh, cohesion in terms of ideology. And now these are forced to form coalition governments, say, at provincial level. Imagine if Gauteng has to experience what is being experienced in the city of Joburg or the city of Tswani, which is informed by these you know, unstable coalition governments that people had to form because no one could be an outright winner.
0: Tara, anything else you want to
2: add at this point before we move on to the next scenario? Um, Just to say that the the barometer really then takes apart some of the storylines in each of these scenarios Mm. and and puts data to them. So I think as we continue talking about each of the scenarios, Mm. we'll be able to then come back to them afterwards and say, what does that actually mean in terms of concrete evidence and what are we seeing as indicators of the direction that we're going?
1: All right. Then I will move on to Naila Walk. Again, another dance move. I mean, the older generation will think of Codessa, uh, which is a, a dance move that entails, you know, coming together as a group. Because if you do it on your own, it does look a bit strange. But as a group, you start seeing the choreography behind it. So already you can see that it's, the messaging is about a nation that's in, in step or in sync with each other towards a common vision. You know, there's a a choreography that informs this dance move. So what we see here is a society that rallies around the Constitution because there's agreement that this should be our North Star. So we see civic education taking place, you know, with our children from Early childhood development, focusing on, you know, civic values, the values of being South African, you know, the preamble of the Constitution being uplifted throughout the schooling years, into higher education. Education is also amplified in in Naila Walk, wherein there's even improvement in education of uh, civil servants. You know, there's uh, training. Uh, we see um, higher education being overhauled as well. And uh, making sure that within the state we have the people with the you know required skills leading. So there's this constitutionalism that we see, but with everyone being rallied around it, there is still a reduced um, uh, dominance of the ruling party within Naila Walk, But that's it, it, while that is happening, we see civil society because now civil education has become a thing, civil society and communities being able to hold government accountable. So we see more coordinated um, agency being demonstrated and because the ruling party is so weakened, they are forced to respond every time citizens rise up to challenge it because they understand the constitution, they understand their rights. So so, so in terms of getting
0: that um unity congruency that 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 you're talking about in the uh, nile walk scenario is it dependent on the amount of civil education that takes place as in without it that scenario becomes impossible without um the strong presence of civil society organizations that scenario becomes um unattainable
1: remember i spoke to the th- three key driving forces so mm-hmm. in each scenario these are the drivers. So it will be the leadership is a key ingredient Uh, and across the spectrum. So it's not just leadership within the state, but leadership within our churches, within our homes, uh, our communities. The second ingredient being the the issue of resentment, resistance, because remember, it was all around the constitution. But now we've got civic education. People understand how to engage uh, or use the constitution. The third key driving force is inequality. So inequality also being reduced through policies like with civil servants that can implement policies because now they have the technical know-how to reduce inequality. Mm -hmm. So a combination of all Mm -hmm. those ingredients would then take us towards the Nyla walk. The same way those same ingredients took us to in the previous one where those things were demonstrated in a negative you know, uh, trajectory.
0: Alright, so you have a lot, a much more capable state then yes. um, under under that scenario. I'm going to just pause it there with my guests for now. It's 11.30 and Nomalizo are standing by with the latest news headlines. I'd love to hear your reflections on what you have heard uh, so far including these scenarios. Do they resonate with you? I mean, when you think about 2030, what are the possibilities That come to your mind. That's something we'll explore. 011 714 2006. That's the number to
2: dial this hour on the on the WhatsApp line, 0614-104-107. on SAFM.
0: So we continue our conversation with my guests from Inglulamiti. We're talking about the scenarios forecasting for this country. 2030 is the year that we're really projecting. What will this country look like? And they, of course, as you heard earlier, explaining the kind of methodology that they use to create these scenarios. So it's not thumbs as uh, some people may think it is, you know. Yes, there's, of course, the opinions of um, experts in various fields, but lots of it also being driven by the data that we're seeing in the country right now. So uh, Tara is still here, who is the lead researcher for the Inglulamiti Barometer. Kolelwa, also acting project leader for the Indulamiti Scenarios Trust. So uh, Tolelwa, you've told us about the two uh, scenarios. Is it bourgeois, nai Walks? What is the third one?
1: The third one is Guaraguara. Now, this is uh, what we refer to as the floundering false dawn. And we play around with the idea of a new dawn. But now in the the Guaraguara nation, it turns out that actually it's a false dawn. It was never really a dawn. Maybe it was burning trucks on the end. You're touching the
0: president on his studio, hey?
1: (laughs) (laughs) So now this is a nation that is torn between immobility and restless energy. Guara Nation embodies a demoralized land of lawlessness. where in municipalities, we see shadow states emerging. State uh, institutions get recaptured because nothing really comes out of the state capture commission. So we just go back and uh, recapture to extreme extents. And once again, here, yeah, you now, when you look at the citizens, they are so demoralized, there's um, abuse of uh, all sorts of substances uh, to just keep our minds away of, you know, this land of disorder and decay. In terms of the political system, we saw in this one, interestingly enough, that the state coffers are so eroded to a point where by 2024, the ANC is forced to go to the IMF cap in hand, asking for assistance. And now that has already happened. And as a result of that, the citizens are so, you know, uh, angry. So by the time they get to the 2024 election, they're dealing with or facing the angriest electorate that ejects the ANC. So they don't survive beyond 2024. Mm -hmm. But then they leave behind these opposition parties that are not, you know, quite able to find cohesion. So they quickly form a, a, a coalition uh government now you see coalition governance are, are emerging across all the three scenarios but in different ways in the it was the ANC split and then they formed coalitions and with uh, within Naila walk the ruling party's dominance is reduced but they're still somewhat leading. And in this one, they are completely ejected, but then they leave everybody else there behind and they quickly form a coalition. That is also very unstable because there's no uh, coherence in terms of ideology. Mm -hmm. But citizens now, because there's a state of lawlessness, there's an uprising, and the state has to be forced to become more controlling. So finding that even uh, rights that we take for granted right now get eroded where there's no freedoms, you know, like freedom of speech and so on, because this coalition government has to be seen to be Mm. doing something. So there is somewhat a bit of a change, but then they're still dealing with an angry citizenry. And we also have this running narrative that that um, flows from, you know, it was roads must fall, fees must flow, flow. In this Gwara, Gwara nation, we see South Africa falling. Mm. So it's a total collapse. But then towards the end, when you get to year 2030, like a phoenix rising out of those ashes, we see a woman leader probably emerging from the Fowler's movement, emerging as now the new president. So we finish off that scenario with on that light note where president is making a speech that all these men destroyed the country, the country fell, it went into ashes, but it's rising again. So that's the Guara nation. It
0: sounds like a scene out of a movie that uh, one may have seen once or more than once in their lifetime. Tara, let me bring you in here because um, when I I listen to Kolelwa, right, and it all seems just like some, yes, it's possibilities, scenarios, but When we look at the data, what is the data saying we are heading towards?
2: So I think this is actually one of the ways in which the Indulamiti scenarios is quite unique, certainly in South Africa. As Lelwa started out by saying, we have quite a long history as a country of using scenarios to help us think through what do we need to do now, right? Um, And scenarios are different from a plan. So back to the NDP, That's a plan. That's like, there's one thing we want to get to, and this is how we get there. That's very important. That's very useful. But if you don't do that, then what? Like, if it doesn't happen, then what else is going to... Like, how do we know what else there is? So scenarios give you those multiple options, but then again, beyond just telling those stories as sort of, um, you know, ways of having new conversations... What then happens? What must we do? And then it, that's your question. Like, what does the data actually tell us after we've told these stories? And that's what the barometer does. Um, and and none of the other scenarios projects have done that in the same way, to annually actually measure what is happening. Um, what's also important is that the barometer, it it tries to help us get beyond the daily media cycle of shocking events mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. um so beyond that like oh my god here's a new corruption scandal or here's a new tavern shooting or here's a new truck protest or here's a new xenophonic riots like all those things that make us feel terrible but then next week it's something else again right mm-hmm. um to actually say what is the longer term story, and also not just what is wrong, but how how are we actually maintaining some pretty good standards in some parts of our society? There's never only one story happening at the same time, and then finally, how do we compare? So South Africa is, I think, famous for having this unique narrative that you know we're the only ones with the story, and like, we, we can't compare ourselves with anyone. Of course, we can. Um, you know, in many ways, this transition that South Africa is in is just sort of 40 years later than the rest of the continent who did this stuff in the 60s. Um, or, you know, in the 80s, I suppose, they were 20 years in, and now here we are, right? 20 years into a democratic dispensation, and we're pretty much in the same place that a lot of other countries were 20 years into their democratic dispensations. So, what it allows us to do is then say, okay, what's happening to our life expectancy? Actually, we're fine, it's still getting better we're doing pretty well compared to the rest of the continent and similar, you know, middle income countries across the world. That's actually still a Nailiwok story, right? What are we doing in terms of the percentage of the population who actually pays taxes? Um, so it's a small percentage, but the ones who should pay taxes actually do largely, right? So that's actually part of the Walk story. So it's not everything's bad or everything's good. There are multiple stories, and looking at the data in detail allows us to see that. Mm -hmm. Nonetheless, we've been doing this since 2019, and every single year, more of the 53 indicators that we've developed for the barometer are falling into what we would say is the Guadaguara scenario. Mm -hmm. So every year there's a larger percentage of those indicators that are falling behind not just our own internal plans, what we would like to see in terms of the NDP and other standards, but that are falling behind other similar countries around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the same this year. We will be launching the new barometer in two days' time. And, um, and that trend just continues to develop. So what we are seeing and what we have seen for the last three years now is that not all indicators but the majority of indicators are falling into what we would describe as a guaraguara mm-hmm. scenario. So, so what happens with the rest
0: of the indicators, like you're saying, um, that I- it's not necessarily just one big bad story. Mm. So when you account for the good and the bad on the other side, do we have a situation where um, what emerges is a combination of all of these three scenarios and not necessarily completely um going according to what has been envisioned in one
2: yes absolutely and i think what's really important as well is as leila has been saying about the key driving forces Mm. there are different patterns when you're looking at leadership and state capacity on the one hand when you're looking at the way in which the citizens feel about the country and each other so resistance resentment reconciliation and when you're looking at social inequality um, when you're looking at leadership capacity, when you're looking at our uh, re- resistance and reconciliation, there's actually a really good balance. There's a number of things that are happening that feel like a Walk story. There's a number of other things that are happening that are ici bourgeois. There's a number that are in Guara Guara, but it's sort of balanced. The biggest problem we have as a country is that the foundation of the majority's everyday experience, which is the social inequality key driving force, is almost entirely in Guaraguara yeah. and that is really where it all falls down. Mm-hmm. So that what so for the majority of the population in their everyday lives they are living in Guaraguara right now and have been for years yeah. and, and and that really then becomes um,
0: the big issue of contention. Let me go to the phone lines Mr. T in the free State apologies you've been holding for some time now. Good morning, Mr. T.
3: Hi, Ms. Casey. how are you? I'm well, thank you. I am not well, I'm not happy with you and your producers. But now, why are you bringing these amazing ladies just after I've submitted my assignment based on scenarios? But nonetheless, <laughs> thank you very much for bringing them. On. Case,
0: Mr. T, you should have asked us Hi. on Friday. We would have told you.
2: <laughs>
3: no worries. But I just want to ask them on uh, the scenario of uh, Amapu, I believe, uh, where they speak of. Um, the elites having two classes where, where it's uh, basically the rich and the poor, right? That one that in uh, creating a, 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 the discrimination that it, they project, one that leads to civil war, whereby the poor are saying, well, we've got these gated estates and they're living out outside and yet we are the ones that are working for them. So we might as well attack them and what are the chances of... That happening, given that more so now we are living in an information age, and most of, despite people from townships at most um, being poor, but they are more inclined in um, questioning the strategic ways of doing things. So, mm. won't that lead to, Fiji, let's say, it's now something, and uh, now it's there like it's, let's say, a rich only place. Won't that lead to maybe the security guard organising people? Uh, that will enable the attack of civil war thank you Sis, Kate. yeah m- m- on m-
0: mr t you you you're actually reminding me of uh, a comment that was made by uh, i think it was a uh, one of the youth leaders a- at the time and it it was around a protest that were taking place and um they were effectively saying, don't think that you're protected." behind these high walls because we will jump over those walls we will open your free your fridges and steal your cheeses so yeah. so that, that that's part of the image that that comes to mind um but th- but thanks for that call Mr Indeed. T. Uh, will just
3: last comment I just mm-hmm. wish our our leadership is listening to your show and taking all these things into account so as to um, prevent them from happening. Yeah. I just wish, it's just a wish. M-
0: Mr. T, will also ask what happens with these scenarios. I know that there have been uh, attempts before to get some level of buy-in uh, from government and make sure that they are aware of this work. AJ in Etakwini, good morning.
4: Hi, Cassie, how are you? I'm well,
0: thank you. Uh,
4: I want to just say thanks for an interesting show you and all the, the contributors. Uh, I... I just heard a little bit about the Ama bourgeois and the, um, the chaotic scenario, the last one. And I just wanted to say, you know, it's so applicable now. I feel like there's elements of Ama of bourgeois at the moment because if you look at what the audit, auditor general reports were on the municipality and spending at a local government level, it's uh, it's quite scary what's what's happening, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I work in, in, in the public healthcare space, so I'm and the majority of people that we see are generally people from low socioeconomic statuses. I and mean, I mean, you know, poor government spending not only keeps those people poor, but also uh, it, uh, it, it impacts their lives significantly, you know, mm-hmm. because, um, you know, people generally will come in late to hospital because they don't have money for transport. They don't have money to uh, put food on the table. They have to worry about the children. They need to worry about their job. You know, they're scared of losing their job. So I feel like, you know, in a society, a capitalistic society like the one we live in, the rich will always be able to fund those things: electricity, get a generator, or get a JoJo tank because there's no water. But it's really the the people in the lower class that suffer. And uh, yeah, I, I, you know, it, it, it's interesting because I mean, yesterday was the, I, I'm calling for Belvin, and yesterday was the case of an ANC um, you know elective, elective conference, and I was listening to um, SG this morning speaking to uh, Mr. Duma, and they were talking about the step-aside rule, and you know, the, the issues along Nazareth lines, and things like that. I, I think that, you know, sometimes people at that level, they're a little bit detached from what happens in the in the public hospital, say, for example. If you come and look what's happening there, you really see that, that there are South Africans who are, who are like, really suffering. Who are you know?
0: suffering, yeah.
4: yeah. yeah. And really suffering, and, and, and South African people are, are like the loveliest people in the world, you know? So mm. it's, it's very sad. You know? And I think, I think, there needs to be, there can't be that disconnect. People in, gov- in government and who are responsible for governance, they should be at the ground so then they can see what's actually happening. Because it's all well, and nice to tick a box and say that you've done this from management side or whatever, but you don't really know what's going on, on the ground until you go there. All right. And you actually see what's happening to the people. Are.
0: AJ, let me thank you for calling in there. AJ, out in Etikwini. Nicholas, you're in Gabekha. Good morning.
5: Morning. Um, could you just turn up the volume for the listener? I, I can't hear you very well.
0: Um, Nicholas, you're live on the radio. I can hear yes, you so loud I and I can, clear.
5: I, I can hear you. Listen, I, I have some outrage regarding scenario planning. Mm. Laura and Tara. Um, what country is Tara's country? I'd love to know whether she's like working for Fever Tree, whether she works for an independent company, whether it's a, a EU-based company whether the scenario planning model is uh, an extension of one of the um, Oxbridge foundations, you know, and I'm, I'm, I, I don't even use Facebook, right? So I'm far from a, um, a, a hysterical um, sort of a, um, uh, internet lunatic. But I, seriously speaking, a lot so, of so, 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 matters, so, so, N-
0: Nicholas, let let me understand. What is causing your outrage right now? My what is causing
5: is an experience that I had in the early transition between Thabo Mbeki and Jacob Zuma? Mm-hmm. We found that there was a massive onslaught of European companies, um, let's call them Anglo-American type of companies, that invaded the country, <clears throat> and they were taking massive fees for uh, uh, advisory contexts. And scenario planning is absolutely a key component in um, in the script writing for uh, an African country.
0: Okay, um, it's okay. It's a
5: global concept, right? And my annoyance, Cathy, is, is because as you expose us, the South African public, to these um, disciplines, which are basically uh, data-driven, in inverted commas, um, uh, Hollywood scenarios that are planned fundamentally by n- numerous cabals.
0: So, so, so Nicholas, I, I, is part of your concern um, not only the work that is being done by the likes of Indulamiti, but who you believe or are you questioning who is behind organizations of this nature? Yes, Kathy, that they I'm may be acting, particularly in the, you know, in the interests of certain groups that are outside of the country's borders.
5: Kathy, um, as I said, I'm not really a conspiracy theorist at all. I'm just a very sober-minded South African citizen. No,
0: fair enough, Nicholas. Um, and I'm my really, concern, I, I really want to understand where the concern is coming from. That's why I'm ask, asking these
5: questions. Let me answer questions. your question as directly as I possibly
0: can.
5: Mm. My concern is that in all levels of society, there are puppet, there's puppetry that goes on. And the people with the most serious finances are able to disguise more efficiently. The more money you have, the more efficiently you can disguise your motives. So we find that there is nothing more corrupt than the United States of America and China, but they have sufficient money to disguise their motives. And and so scenario planning is part of a controlling a series of disciplines that are inflicted on the so-called third world by people like Kalerua, and I'm sure she doesn't want to be labelled a puppet. I'm sure Tara doesn't want to be labelled some sort of um, Oxbridge uh, <coughs> graduate. But my my experience is that, seriously speaking, we are held back as a nation by going to false gods and white okay. saviours who act. Quite often through scenario planning and through business consulting. All right, Mr. N- N- minister in the government. Nicholas, is unfortunately, just
0: just um, pause it there. But pause it there, Nicholas. I, I want to give um, Tara and Kolewa and an opportunity to to, to, to respond. Yes, but but now you must also be on your best behavior and just give them a chance to My say what they your need trail, to say. Okay, Nicholas. Hang ten. Hang ten. I don't know who wants to go first. I can go first. All right, Kolewa. I
1: mean, uh, 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 Nicholas is actually spot on in terms of the tradition of scenarios planning and the, you know, the presence of, you know, mining giants in particular and also mining industry, because it's an industry that has, you know, a long lifespan. So they tend to utilize scenarios planners, uh, scenario planners in terms of even projecting, you know. The lifetime of a mind, so it does come from that. We've got Shell as being very prominent within that discipline of uh, building scenarios, and um, so yes, in terms of you know the origins of the discipline itself, in terms of how we, as Indulamiti, how we were founded, it's a collective of various actors. We've got the chairperson of uh, the Indulamiti Trust being Professor Somadota Fikeni. And he's put in that position deliberately because of, you know, he's standing in society and someone who's perceived to be independent. We've got ourselves, I mean, I work for Mapungupoe Institute for Strategic Reflection, which is a research institute or think tank. Tara works for social surveys, so it's a collective. Social surveys is uh, also a research institute, but slightly different from Mapungupoe. And then you've got a diversity of sponsors, including Anglo-American that Nicholas named here. But then there's a range of them. There's so many different actors, and we're very transparent about that. And uh, unfortunately, so far we've had very little participation by government, even though we do, you know, uh, inform them of this scenario. So in terms of who's behind the scenes, it is a collective of different actors who are also, you know, informed by. sense of agents of urgency that they were feeling and there was a meeting of minds and then that collective was formed and that's when we decided that we need to register a trust that can be independent of all these sponsors or originators of the project we sit together as members of an executive committee that runs the day-to-day activities but we can keep each other in check because it's it, what we believe in is co-creation so that we're not dominated by a single sponsor or a single strong actor mm-hmm. they, so that is uh, how we were
2: formed all right tara Maybe just to add that uh, all of the organizations that um, Olelo has spoken about are South African. So in spite of my accent, um, uh, the company I work with, Social Surveys, is a South African organization entirely. I've been here for 22 years um, and consider myself a South African as I can ever become in spite of my accent. And... um, and sort of, the, you know, the, the sponsors and the the trust members, and it's it's a very very South African organisation, and is not mm-hmm. in any way influenced by an outside um, methodology, or it's it's very much about adapting these things that we mm-hmm. understand where they come from historically, but oh. um, I certainly haven't taken on somebody else's initiative. This is a very much a homegrown initiative. All right, Nicholas, twenty seconds to respond.
5: Thank you for thank you for those two answers. I, I respect them. And um, I, if, if you say you have clean hands, then I must believe that you have clean hands.
0: All right. But also um, go online and, 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 and Google them, Nicholas, so that you yeah, can you know, see uh, you know, just what they're doing. I don't
5: believe everything that I read.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: okay, Nicholas. My, my final I'm shot,
5: my final shot go, yeah. is, is to say um, yes, uh, if Muletti and Becky is somehow involved, this is wonderful. Uh, Strategic Reflection Institute, yes, marvelous. Um, but. But beware, beware the power of words. Because when we use words like Naile Steps, Guara Guara Nation, it's creative, and I'm a writer myself. I believe in the power of words. Mm. But we we must be careful of implanting, especially on a, a big national broadcast like this. Be careful of implanting seeds that 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 take root in the impressionable. Soil of the minds of the South African public.
0: All right, Nicholas, I've Thank got to you let, so let you go. I've got other callers. Okay, bye. Thanks for calling in, John in Kimberley. Hi, John.
6: Hello, Cathy, and to your two guests. Just two part, two part question. Um, in your forecasting, was it taken into account the unsustainable population explosion in this country? The second part of my question is with the appro- appropriation of land without compensation, have, have these two items been taken into account in their forecasting? All right. That's it. Thank you. Thanks
0: for that, John. Uh, Nick and Peter Maritzburg, good morning. Hi, uh, good morning, Cathy. Yes. Uh, yeah,
6: before we go further, Cathy or Eldon for President and Deputy President <laughs> and, the rest the F- <laughs> and the rest of the SAFN staff for Cabinet. You guys are young, switched on, clever and energetic. Okay, let's get – I'm serious about that, but I suppose the possibilities are zero. Cassie, uh, I believe – I have a very simple view. I believe that uh, we've been at war. South Africa has been at war with itself for for probably 12, 10, 14 years now. You can see it. I mean, hundreds of coaches have burned. There's hundreds of examples. It's neither here nor there. I think there are two factions which um, kind of fits into that scenario. One is the dictator faction, and that is, I think you called it the bourgeois thing, where uh, they live like kings, grouped as a bat, keep everybody that's uh, connected and money, and the poor just get poorer and poorer. I think we've seen that through Africa. We've seen it through South America. And it's it's, it's a method by which uh, people with money Suppress and uh, you know destroy the rest at the bottom of the pile. Then you have the second faction which says, "No hell, we must get combined as a country." At the moment, how does one deal with all the sabotage? Because that's what I believe it is. It's a lot of sabotage. Uh, Trucks on the N3 stopped. July unrest, coaches burnt, and so forth. I believe that's sabotage. And if we look at the energy component, which we're the driver of a future economic uh, growth that's been eroded um, the Department of minerals and energy uh, deliberately stop um, independent power producers and the um, you know the windmill solar thing um, there's uh, at least 10 gigawatts of energy available there yes the capital costs are high but the energy you get to drive these uh, machines It's free. The wind is free. The sun is free. And one can convert that energy into a host of things like hydrogen, blah, blah, blah. I mean, there's been whole programs about that.
2: Mm.
6: Nick? Until until we can grab the sabotage, whether it be physical sabotage or government deliberately holding things back, that's also sabotage. We have to tackle that. And all the scenarios will continue to point to poor a, a, a poor outcome all right uh, your guess your guess is very good and you are very
0: good nick in but peter Marzburg, i'm going to have to leave it there with you unfortunately i'm looking at the clock and we're out of time for the conversation um tara and Kolelua, i'm going to give you each 45 seconds please keep it as short as possible for me uh in terms of responding to what our callers have raised uh, Kolelua, let me begin with you mm.
1: I'll, I'll respond to the last caller and maybe it combined with what Mr. T. raised about the war or potential for civil war. I mean, what we described there in said Bourgeois is actually a different type of war because the poor are actually just on the other side of the wall, And and we did speak to the Uber, the convoys with blue lights where you have to privatize even that. So you for you to step outside your enclave, you will need security because out there it's a continuous rupture. On land, land emerges in different ways across the three scenarios. In Zipourjua, it only serves the bourgeois, the elite. In Walk, there's more, you know, coherent conversation around land, wherein even urban land is considered and everyone is all included. But in Guaraguara, it's land grabs. So, yes, we did consider it, and it also emerges in these various ways. All right.
2: Tara? I mean, I think the the thing to say uh, to you know, the point about uh, do we have a civil war? have we had one for quite a long time? Um, I think this is this is the the danger of a single story that we are actually trying to avoid with these scenarios. Uh, that, yes, there are definitely many trends of dissolution, um, and we have been describing those in our stories and in our data. But at the same time, there are, solid components that can be built on. So it's not a hopeless path dependent slide. Mm. And we didn't get a chance to talk about social compacting. But you know, as a project, that's what we're trying to aim for. And you need a sense of hope. So um, I don't want us to leave this conversation by saying there's nothing that can be done. It's already all broken. There are places, Mm. there are institutions, and there are a lot of people in our society who really have a lot of hope
0: all right unfortunately the hour has just flown by and as you heard some outstanding issues we didn't get to but i need to get out of here i'm already in the dog box i can window i'm so sorry over to you for the update at noon